Hello and thank you for joining Haaretz Weekly. With you in studio, Amir Tibon. What did Western intelligence get wrong about Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Why did Russian President Putin misread the situation even worse? Where does the U.S.-Israel relationship stand right now as growing tensions on Ukraine and Iran are making more and more headlines? And how can Israel manage the sensitive issue of its relations with China amid growing pressures from Washington? We'll discuss all of these questions with Amos Yadlin, retired IDF general, former head of Israeli military intelligence. The conversation with him coming right up. Our guest today is retired Israeli General Amos Yadlin, former head of Israeli military intelligence, and he's joining us to discuss the war in Ukraine, the Iran nuclear talks, the U.S.-Israel relationship, big strategic issues that are of concern to our listeners. Hello, Amos. Hi. It's good to be with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, let's start with the situation in Ukraine. More than a month into the war, Kiev is still standing. Overall, can we come and say at this point that the Russian military invasion has been a failure or is it too early to use those kinds of terms? Let's say that they lost the war that they have planned. And the war that they have planned was more like uh, marching in Independence Day into Ukraine, greeting with uh, the Russian-speaking brothers that uh, liberated them from the uh, Nazi regime. So this kind of war that they have planned is a total failure. Uh, however, they haven't lost the war yet. Remember, it's a superpower. The Russians are now debriefing, regrouping, and changing tactics. We saw already two changes. One, uh, moving from surgical uh, attack into uh, Kiev to a much more aggressive, even barbaric attack on cities, destroying cities, a siege, very much like Grozny, and uh, Aleppo in Syria. And now we're seeing also changing the objective of the campaign. It's not anymore going to Kiev. In a way, uh, President Putin is preparing his own narrative that he has started only operation in Donbass to save the Russian in Donbass from Ukrainian uh, genocide. So he is now concentrated on grabbing some land uh, in Donbass and maybe declare victory and cut the losses. When the war started, here in Israel, a lot of the media discourse was about the weakness of the West, the failure of the United States and its allies to deter Putin. Uh, it's, it's something that we in Israel like to talk about, how the West is losing its way and cannot stand up to the thugs like Putin. Uh, maybe it's time for a reassessment in light of uh, what we've seen in the last month and few days of the war? It is not black and white. Uh, there is many aspects to, to the West approach. Because on one hand, they haven't deterred Putin. In a way, they have made his decision to attack easier because they gave him assurance that he will not find uh, American or NATO forces uh, in Ukraine. So in his decision-making calculus, the military threat from the West was zero. On the other hand, as we already uh, discussed, the West is much more united and they are willing to stand up to Russia in kind of sanctions that Putin never thought that they will be able to give up the Russian energy. But when we look at it, they haven't given it up totally. Uh, it, it was uh, stopped in the U.S. when they have a lot of oil. It was stopped in the UK when they have the, the northern sea oil. Italy, 
Germany are still paying Putin half a billion dollars a day to his war machine. So it's not black and white, and no doubt that the West is on a non-military issue much more efficient. On the military, the jury is still out. Mm-hmm. And a bit about Israel's reaction to the war. Uh, we have seen growing criticism in the U.S. toward the Israeli approach and this uh, attempt by Israel to denounce Russia on the one hand, but take a bit of a softer stance than other U.S. allies. On the other hand, do you think the government has been running this policy uh, the right way, or maybe we need to pay more attention to the disappointment uh, among some of our allies? Personally, I thought, and I wrote about it in the first week, that uh, staying on the fence, haven't identified 100% with the West, was a mistake. The government uh, argument was, we are managing our values against our interest. And our interest is to keep good relations with Russia because of the uh, Syrian northern border and our campaign in Syria against the Iranians. And because we have Jews in, in Russia, I thought that The interest of Israel is to be identified with the West. This is our main national security interest. We have only one big ally, sometimes the only ally. And this is the United States of America. And when the United States of America is going to a, a global confrontation, we have to be with them. I think the idea of uh, mediation is a reasonable idea, because if you can save life by stopping the war, It's a noble uh, move uh, forward, but it could have been done uh, also with much more moral position that supported the right side. When it comes to the Russian involvement in Syria and the, the fear of the, the big Russian bear, are we exaggerating the, the size of the problem over there? We are seeing right now Russia's military problems in Ukraine. Uh, Russia is more and more isolated on the world stage, and yet Israel insists that it could not take a stronger stand because we are bordering right now the Russian Air Force uh, in the skies of Syria. Now, you know quite a lot about that arena, uh, not just from your time as the head of military intelligence, but also as a former uh, Israeli Air Force uh, pilot. Uh, what do you think about uh, this? Because we have heard some people say that these fears are exaggerated at this point in time. Yeah, I think, uh, once again, I wrote about it in, uh, in the end of February. Basically, not underestimate the Russian uh, air defense or the Russian air force. They are very good, they are very advanced, and I, I never recommend to, to get to into fight with them. But I thought, and I, I'm still thinking, that the Russians are now concentrated in Ukraine, and they will not open a new front. They will not be happy from Israeli position. But Israel is handling Syria very well, very cautiously, and we know exactly where are the Russians. We know how to avoid having any Russian casualty when we are dealing with Iran. And I thought that the, the fears of Russian opening a new front in Syria were too high. We've heard some uh, complaints from the Ukrainian side uh, during the course of the war that uh, they are not getting the help they would want from Israel. Uh, there was uh, some uh, discussion of the uh, Iron Dome, although it's not clear if that is even relevant, and some other Israeli abilities. Uh, do you think Israel could even truly help Ukraine? Is it something that we would want to do on the military side? 
I think what Israel have done on the humanitarian side is impressive. We send a hospital there. After some not so good moves, now the, the refugees are greeting well. And this is the, the, the best help we can give them. The Iron Dome is not relevant. It's take a long time and you need to train. And I think the, the line of avoiding a military involvement is the right policy. Uh, even the U.S. has a lot of limitations. When the Polish government want to transfer MiG-29 to Ukraine, uh, the Americans said, no, a defensive and non-lethal equipment, yes, a defensive equipment which is lethal. Uh, I think the Americans and the Germans are, are sending, and Israel help is not, uh, will not do any different. And I think the issue of military assistance is handled very well by the government. More broadly, when we look at this war from an Israeli perspective and we try to examine it in a, a larger picture of world affairs, what do you think are the most important lessons for Israel to learn from the past month, from everything that has happened in Ukraine and the global implications that have come with it? Yeah, I think the main Israel national security concern is Iran. And I wonder what the Iranians are thinking. Uh, a country that gave up its nuclear power, very much like the lesson of Gaddafi, is calling for much a higher motivation for Iran to have nuclear weapons. The Budapest 1994 agreement, Ukraine got uh, guarantees from Russia, from the U.S., from Germany, and it was not kept. So I think the motivation for nuclear weapons in Iran is going even higher. And all the non-proliferation regime uh, is going to suffer from what happened in Ukraine. On the other hand, everybody saw what a dictator with nuclear weapon is doing because he has nuclear weapon. So those who oppose uh, Iranian having nuclear weapon, I think, also have a higher motivation. So the Iranian uh, nuclear issue uh, is now uh, on steroids after the, the war in Ukraine. Second is the disengagement of the U.S. from the Middle East. Uh, we all saw the pivot to Asia that even the Obama administration have started. And now we see America concentrate on Europe. So less attention to the Middle East. This was before the war, but now once again, It is even uh, uh, more seriously considered in all the Middle East capital. Not only Israel was on defense when the West want the Middle East countries to, to help. Pay attention to the fact that uh, MBZ and MBS haven't picked the phone. When President Biden calls them to pump more oil, uh, they have uh, overcapacity and They are in undercapacity and they can have more oil on, on the market, but they didn't react. And the UAE abstained in the Security Council. So uh, the American position in the Middle East will be uh, uh, weak. We see also the problem of uh, food supply. Many countries in the Middle East get their uh, wheat their, uh, for bread from uh, Russia and from Ukraine. Uh, Egypt is one example. Uh, Lebanon is another example. And these countries are anyway in an economic crisis that will be uh, deepened due to the shortage of, uh, of food. And shortage of food uh, usually lead to instability. 
very little optimism uh, in everything that you just said. Uh, more motivation for Iran to try to get a nuclear uh, ability, bigger instability in the region because of the economic impacts of the war and the sanctions. And then, uh, like you said, also less American interest. Although there's also an argument to make that maybe siding with Russia doesn't look like such a brilliant move at this point in time. We saw the Russians get more and more involved in the Middle East in recent years. Maybe it's time for some countries to also rethink uh, the, uh, the idea that Russia is the rising force here and the America is the one that is becoming less relevant? I think that uh, moving from American as an ally to China and to Russia is something that many governments are considering in the last decade. It's not started uh, with Ukraine. It started when the Americans uh, withdraw from Iraq and later on withdraw from Afghanistan. And everybody understood that America's interest in the Middle East is less because America is energy independent and the main enemy is on the Indo-Pacific is China. But after saying that, uh, everybody that evaluate the, the other superpower to be his main ally, beside Iran, of course, but if I speak about the Saudis, the UAE, the Egyptians, the Jordanians, figure out that security guarantee they will not get from Russia, they will not get from uh, China. This is two allies of Iran. And the main concern in the Middle East is Iran. And the only superpower that can help against Iran is the US and not China and not Russia. And yet it does seem like the Israeli government and some others in the region are not very confident about the American approach in the Iran nuclear talks. We saw the Negev summit here in Israel last week, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, Uh, our Foreign Minister Yair Lapid and the Foreign Ministers of Egypt, the UAE, Morocco and Bahrain gathering together. And from the outside looking in, it seemed a bit like these uh, local foreign ministers, the, the Israeli and Arab ones, were curious to hear from the American guest what is the next step in Vienna because they are a bit concerned. Yes, I think that uh, the fact that America is not perceived as a reliable, willing to fight ally, is bringing closer the Arabs to Israel. The Abrahamic Accord is, a, uh, in a way, a consequence of uh, the weakening American position uh, in the Middle East. So countries are looking to each other and find that they have the same interest against Iran. And UAE, Israel, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, which was not in stable care, but uh, they are all understanding that a very strong power in the Middle East is Israel, and when the U.S. is less determined to defend them against Iran, uh, Israel is another option. You were uh, the head of military intelligence during uh, very dramatic years here in Israel. When it comes to the Iranian issue, there were several instances where the uh, government was seriously deliberating on whether or not to strike Iran. Uh, today, a decade after those deliberations, Do you think the question is still on the table? Can Israel still carry out a military strike against Iran's nuclear program? And if it does, how effective can it be? I think there are five strategies to cope with Iran. And the military option is the last one and the last resort. There is the, the strategy of agreement. However, it should be a good agreement. Agreements that really stop Iran and not a, a weak and problematic agreement like the JCPOA. Uh, of 2015, which is even worse in 2000, 
2022. And yet it looks like that's where we're heading. Yeah, the second strategy is sanctions, tough sanctions, painful sanctions. It was tried by Obama in the previous decade and was successful. It was not successful during the Trump administration. And the argument that it was not get enough time. There is the strategy of, uh, I called it strategy C, clandestine, covert, cyber. This strategy is used, but unfortunately don't have critical mass to stop the Iranian program. There is the strategy of a regime change, because another regime may behave differently and be less dangerous vis-a-vis uh, Israel. And the last one is as it was done in uh, Iraq and Syria. I think Israel should have a military option. It seems like uh, the military option was not updated during the last three years of Prime Minister Netanyahu because there was no budget. Uh, it seems like the new government understood it and now they allocate a budget, a huge budget to, to rebuild and update the military option. But as I said, this is the last resort. And yet this last resort, uh, if we actually get there and there is no other choice, do you think it can be successful? Amir, this is the only issue I'm not discussing in uh, open media. I'm saying only, I used to say it is doable, and I'm now saying I hope it is doable. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that, that is an important differentiator. Do you think the Israeli policy on this issue of Iran has changed at all with the change of government here in Israel? The former Prime Minister Netanyahu made this a flagship issue, at least publicly, for many years. We've had a new prime minister for almost a year coming soon. I think now it's 10 months. How do you assess the Iran policy under Prime Minister Bennett compared to what we saw under Netanyahu? Under Netanyahu, it was a, unfortunately a total fail. Because when he left, uh, or he convinced Trump to, to leave the, the JCPOA and impose sanctions, which was a reasonable move, but he haven't prepared and Trump haven't prepared A plan B, because after they withdraw from the deal, it was predicted that the Iranians will withdraw from the deal and will advance their nuclear program. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. And the Iranians, three years after the withdrawal from the deal, are much closer to the bomb than they were under the condition of the deal. So that's what Prime Minister Bennett had found when he entered the Prime Minister's office. And we already discussed that maybe he found that the military option uh, is not updated to, to the needs of 2022. So the Israeli government decided uh, not to adapt Prime Minister Netanyahu open fight with American uh, administration and American president. Even though the, the music of the Israeli argument is the same music of the last government. Basically saying, we don't like the agreement. We don't want you to go back to the agreement. The agreement in 2025 is much more dangerous because the Iranians are now, even if they will go back to the JCPOA from 2015 parameter, it is not a year from the bomb. It's three months from the bomb because of advanced centrifuges. And we know from the archive that was brought from Tehran that they violated a lot of the NPT sections by having a weapon group. So the whole basis for the 2015 uh, agreement is now shaky. So Israel is against going back to the deal, but 
it is not fighting with the administration. On a working level, the message is conveyed. And what I recommend to the government is to have a parallel agreement. We are not part of the agreement. Israel is not part of the JCPOA. But we need an agreement with the U.S. on what will happen if the Iranians will not keep the agreement. What will happen if the longer and stronger uh, agreement that Secretary Blinken promised will not be reached? What is the red line? What will be done if the Iranians will cross the red line? How we cope with the millennial behavior of Iran in the, in the region? and how the U.S. is uh, strengthening uh, Israel and the Israeli cap- capability to deal with Iran. I think that this is what the Israeli government should do uh, because we share the same goal. President Biden and Prime Minister Bennett spoke in the Oval Office and they say Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear bomb. So we share the same strategic goal and we have to to find a way that the Americans will give a much stronger commitment behind this war. I want to ask you a similar question uh, on the Biden administration compared to the previous Democratic administration, the Obama administration, on Iran and also more broadly in the Middle East. How do you see the policy of this administration? It's been in office now for uh, almost a year and a half. Uh, do you think they are repeating Obama's mistakes in the Middle East? Are they doing some things better, differently? I think basically they are guided by the same ideology, ideology of uh, giving priority to, to diplomacy, uh, avoiding another war in the Middle East. This is, by the way, bipartisan in America. Even the Republicans are not running for another war in the Middle East. And the Pentagon is trying to avoid it. Washington is usually dealing with one issue. And the one issue is China. And now they are dealing with Ukraine. So uh, both administrations uh, look at the Middle East and say this is not the main arena uh, that we have to be invested in militarily, diplomatically, and so on and so forth. I think the Biden administration is less willing to confront Israel publicly. They are very professional uh, Secretary of State and National Security uh, Advisor that have very good relations here. And we already mentioned that uh, the Israeli new government doesn't want to, to have a, an open, uh, fierce confrontation with uh, the U.S. So basically it's the same ideology, it's the same interest, but in a better dialogue and less public uh, confrontation between the two governments. Do you think this administration, like uh, the Obama administration, could at some point increase the pressure on Israel and the Palestinians to try to uh, open uh, diplomatic talks and try to maybe reach some kind of uh, an agreement? Or is that really not on the agenda anymore in Washington and uh, we're not going to hear about it anytime soon? Since I, I uh, already told you that uh, this is very professional diplomats that, uh, and uh, policy experts that running the foreign policy of the U.S., they know that uh, the Israeli-Palestinian issue uh, is a no-win. Two sides are very, very far away. The gap is huge, uh, even if agreement will be uh, possible and it is not possible. The, the implementation is impossible. Uh, Abu Mazen is very weak. Uh, he's not popular in the West Bank. 
Gaza, uh, controlled by terror organization, and it's part of the Palestinian issue. And the government in Israel is, uh, is basically on national security, agrees on everything. Uh, Iran, there is no left and right on Iran. Uh, nuclear, there is no left and right on the need to uh, stop the Iranian uh, entrenchment in, uh, in Syria. There is no left and right about the danger from Hezbollah. Uh, there is no left and right if the Saudis will come and join the, the Abrahamic Accord. It will be uh, blessed in the left and in the right. There is only one issue that they, they don't agree at all. And this is the Palestinian issue, the two-state solution issue. So any realistic approach to the Middle East is saying don't touch the Israeli-Palestinian issue towards a permanent agreement. Some small uh, steps that will keep the two-state solution alive, maybe, but not the big Secretary Kerry uh, or President Clinton kind of initiative. Yeah, or you forgot to mention, of course, the Jared Kushner uh, deal of the century, which we've not heard about since uh, Trump left office. Amos Adin, I want to ask you, uh, before we finish, a bit about China, because you said earlier that Washington usually deals with one issue. And in recent years, we've heard again and again some American dissatisfaction with uh, Israel's ties to China and their economic involvement here. How do you think Israel should manage this issue, which is becoming more and more sensitive to Washington? Yeah, I think I was a defense attache in Washington in uh, 2005 when the Harpy crisis happened. And when we worked very hard to solve it, and it was solved with agreement that uh, Israel never, ever uh, supplied China with defense articles. Dual use, we will consult each other, but investment and infrastructure is fine. Uh, fast forward 15 years, And we find now that all the categories are problematic. Uh, dual use become the main issue, the technology competition between the two superpowers, the artificial intelligence, 5G, uh, advanced computing. And basically the Americans don't want to see any uh, relation between uh, Israel and China on this issue. And even infrastructure and investment are questioning. So what we need to do And once again, this can be done by transparency, by dialogue, by creating a, a mechanism that will try to keep on one hand the concern of the U.S. from transferring technology to China, and from the other hand, the need of uh, Israel to have a trade relation uh, with one of the, the biggest uh, economy in the world. Not an easy subject to manage, and I'm sure we'll uh, hear more about it. Amos Yadlin, former head of Israeli military intelligence, thank you very much for joining us today and for a fascinating conversation. It's a pleasure to talk to our audience, especially doing it from Harvard University. And let's look into the, uh, the future on Iran, Ukraine, the Middle East. It's all connected. We'll have to bring you again to keep the conversation. Thank you very much. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much to our producer, Aaron Ehrlich, and to you listeners. My colleague, Alison Kaplan-Sommer, will be here again on Thursday with a new episode of Haaretz Weekend. Until our next meeting, Shalom from Tel Aviv.